And we're back with another episode of Ladies First. Elizabeth's back today. Hi, guys. Back from the Canadian wilderness. It's not with your wilderness. hatchet throwing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your yeah, flannel I just... wearing hatchet throwing. Like, that is so freaking gay. Alright, so to catch everybody up, unless you follow me on Twitter, you probably wouldn't know this, but uh, my girlfriend is Canadian, and she surprised me with an actually remarkably cute date idea of going to an axe-throwing bar. And honestly, it was super fun. I highly recommend it. I know, but uh, I saw the photos of you two, and that was like peak gayness. Or I should say peak lesbianism. Okay, so there were like multiple funny things going on on with that but like okay so first of all the, the place is called axe to grind so if you're ever in victoria it actually is super cool they had loner flannels but we brought our own because you know we're lesbians <clears throat> but uh yeah it was it was on it was really fun but also very gay on multiple levels i was actually qu- quite proud of her for coming up with that but she survived with all of her bits intact. I'm assuming you didn't lose a finger. Oh, no, I didn't. It was terrifying. Like, probably the first, maybe the first ten minutes it was terrifying, and then it started getting fun. Well, I am happy that you have returned to us in one piece. Yes. And got your day yes. on. Yes. And today's topic actually was one that I wanted to talk about since the last time her and I were together, because the last thing we did together is go on a camping trip together. Which is another you two lesbian are such right? Lesbians. <laughs> another like, lesbian you two right? Are like passage. peak lesbian. <laughs> Kinda, yeah, yeah. I can say that because I mean it in a good way. Why wouldn't you be able to say that? It's an objective fact. It's well, not even I'm... an offense. It's not even an offensive objective fact. It just is. This is just like, like we exist, like we are in a 1990s Subaru commercial. Yeah, like, the only thing you two are missing is adopting a cat together. I am waiting for the day I get this message from you saying, we have a new black cat with, like, one eye and three legs, and we're naming him Mr. Stumpies. <laughs> That's just a cruel nickname. He deserves a dignified name. You know, a person name. We'll call Mr. him Biggles something was? like... We'll call him something like Brent, or Bob, or Gary. Okay. <laughs> I'm waiting for the day I get a message from you like, hey, meet Gary with a photo of your cat. Oh, no, no, I've committed to it. I have to name a cat Gary. <laughs> no, you're right. Well, I mean, if we didn't live in two different parts, two different countries, it's not quite the same situation as it was when I dated a girl from France. So, like, she lives in Victoria and I live in California. It's like a two hour flight. So okay, now I have my girlfriend who lives in Canada stuck in my head. Thanks for that. Again, yes, I know. I know. <laughs> you brought this up right when we first started dating and it's actually been almost a year now. I know, but I've seen photos. Like, I saw peak lesbianism with the hatchet bar, yes. peak lesbianism with the camping. It's not like she doesn't exist. Yeah, no, she's a real she's, person. She's well, you've met show. Corey. You've Corey. You've met her in person. I know. I've met her. She's been on the show. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyway, um, so we actually didn't mean to just talk about my relationship. Although, yes, I, if you think if it seems like I'm bragging, it's because yes, I am because I'm happy and I like talking about happy things because there's a lot of fucked up shit going on in the world right now. Also, but the reason I'm why like I brought letting up letting everybody know when you've been off, you know, foraging around in the Canadian wilderness. <laughs> 
Yes, more like foraging around in the Victoria Museum, which, by the way, if you've never been, their native exhibit is incredible. I know. I highly I recommend have more fun it. saying the Canadian wilderness. Yes, the, I mean, I guess technically all of it's kind of Canadian wilderness because they, you know, like anywhere where the sun goes down, because it's so far north, does kind of qualify as the wilderness. There you go. <laughs> anyway, so that was a. a to get to what I actually wanted to talk about today, which we I saw them for the first time during that camping trip, which is uh, Tipping the Velvet in Fingersmith. Oh my god, you're such a lesbian. You watched also no, the, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I want to make sure our audience <laughs> understands this. You were on a camping uh-huh. trip in Canada with your girlfriend, and you two decided to watch Tipping the Velvet and freaking... Fingersmith. Yeah, fucking them all, because that was her first choice, but she didn't have it on that hard drive. So she was like, have you ever seen Tipping the Velvet? And I was like, no. Lesbian. That you reached a new level beyond peak lesbian. I don't know what we're going to call it yet. You know, our listeners, you should give us uh, suggestions in the comments below. If we really like it, we may make a shirt out of it. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I could probably make it even gayer. We didn't feel like cooking, so we actually went out to dinner that night at a camp at the little camp store. Next, next yep. thing I know, you're going to be going back to Canada, and like we reenacted this and watched fucking them all, and then we ate like campfire cooked spam hot dogs. You know, we have actually been discussing like what gear we would need to do cold weather camping because most of my gear is only specced for like to zero but why would you do that zero. cold why because because it's fun because camping is fun i don't understand because you. i have i have like two modes i have i own an obscenely expensive gaming pc and put it together myself and i live you know on technology i literally have to carry two cell phones with me one for work and one for um one personal. for personal use uh, more of a consequence of my job than anything. But, like, I'm constantly in front of screens. So, like, when I get away, I like to escape to situations where I don't have cell phone service to force me to put it down. Okay, that's fair. But yeah. still, loyal <laughs> listeners, if you can come up with a better term than peak lesbian <laughs> to reach, like, to describe the levels that Elizabeth and her girlfriend have reached, let us know in the comments. I need to have a little, like, a little cartoon... Of like, you know, like, the stick figures on the back of people's cars, you know, yeah. like, that's very heteronormative. Have, like, two of those stick figures and have them standing on top of a mountain in flannel. says lesbian peak. <laughs> I'm a little flag <laughs> on the top I'll of send, it. yeah, a little, there'll be a little lesbian flag at the very top of it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But we do have oh, an actual to... topic today. Yes. We do. Yes. Okay. So... There's actually a couple reasons why I wanted to talk about these, but the primary one being because they're both very, very good just for... And as far as lesbian media goes, like, honestly, it's all over the place in quality. Mm -hmm. Like, I I, I see, like, maybe... Maybe of of a lesbian or queer lady content, I should say, because it's not all exclusively lesbian. Um, But for queer lady content, probably maybe, like, one out of four films I actually like, which is part of the reason why I just don't watch that many of them, because they're very depressing. 
And while these aren't, they're not technically films, they are like those little BBC three episode miniseries things. They're like, you know, three mm-hmm. 45 minute episodes. So I, I think Fingersmith. Yeah, Fingersmith is two, and Tipping the Velvet is is three total episodes, I think. But yeah, they essentially run, they have a runtime of the film, and they're structured like them, too. In particular, Tipping the Velvet, I liked because it has this level of whimsy in filmmaking, and it's sort of... Tipping the Velvet is very over-the-top, and it's very good at visually expressing... A feeling that is sort of unique to queer girls, but mm-hmm. like, you know that the person who did the direction on this work actually understood what these things felt like. Um, I was actually surprised to learn that it was directed by a man. But he did a phenomenal job taking the source material, because there's a book that this is based on, and bringing it to life. Now, to be... Up front, uh, Fingersmith and Tipping the Velvet were both based off of books. So they had yes. a wealth of source material to draw from instead of some rando dude winging out a screenplay. And I'm going to be honest here, I cannot get through the books. Like, I have tried. <laughs> they are just I tried. so... I don't know the word. They're very hard to get to. Get Honestly, having, having watched the the bbc adaptations first the magic of rachel sterling in tipping the velvet just like does it to a buck yeah here's the thing half of what makes tipping the velvet work so well is rachel sterling being cast as the lead god that and honestly it's a strong cast overall i don't think there's a single weak link in this casting it's one of the i mean also it's another it's a great like show if you are one of those people who loves that rush that bbc rush of where do i know that actor from this one is full of it but it's still like it's an all-star cast and every single person is pulling their weight but rachel sterling my god like there's this particular like haven't seen this before you will be fanning yourself throughout so there's a particular trope with lesbians, especially, and queer but queer women, but there's something that we like, and it's sort of like the Commander Shepard swagger, and I use that term because that's where I first encountered this feeling, but there's a particular confidence, um, not too much confidence, but a particular conf- confidence to queer women really like, and actually uh, Cassandra from Assassin's Creed is sort of written this way as well. But, like, Rachel Sterling is quite swoon-worthy. Even, even early on, like, right in the beginning of the film, before she's really sure of herself, she was still she quite swoon She has a presence that is just... <clears throat> yes. It's hard to describe, actually, but she's just... Because, like, for the most, the majority of the story, she, um, she dresses, dresses in men's clothes on purpose to dress a drag to do various things that she could not do dressed as a woman. Um, but she still, the, the way that the costume department dressed her, she still kind of have a little bit of feminine face and that sort of thing. You can still clearly tell she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh my god. Her and the, um, the soldier, and then her just wearing the suits around, that's, yeah. Honestly, if you've never seen this film, just Google that right now. It'll talk you into it. And have some water. Yes. <laughs> Now, you guys think I'm kidding. I'm not. Like now, the is, other one. It, it's going to press it all is. the lady buttons. Yes, 
there's a point very early in the film where the, the point at which it really caught me was the first time that because she's you know um so sort of a brief rundown of the story that Rachel Sterling's character she um she lives she grew up in a fishing village she's and if you're like, well, that's a little on the nose, you uh, you are well prepared for how on the nose most of the film is. Yeah. So they they just kind of let you, yeah they kind of the, the the shot of the waves just lapping over the oyster shells they kind of just let you who they are let let you know who they are right off the bat. She fall she falls desperately in love with who's a woman who dresses in a men's suit, blacked on like a vaudeville. Yeah, it's vaudeville. I mean, it's it. When did when did this take? It was probably the late eighteen hundreds. It's a little pre vaudeville, but like that's what it is. It's a vaudeville th- theater with a woman wearing a tuxedo singing a lovely song. And she falls madly in love with her. But also, um, this is like <laughs> the straight girl who will ruin your life trope, which I love. Uh, so she starts, you know, performing with her in the act as well. And um, there's a scene where the first time Rachel Sterling puts on the men's clothes, she makes this really, really raunchy, dirty comment to herself in the mirror, and it was genuinely like a like a clutch your pearls moment. <laughs> I kind of let out a little gasp, and and my girlfriend was just like, she's like, so this is your thing, huh? And I was like, yes, yes, it is. Okay, so long story short, the straight girl that's going to ruin your life. She's this is the one part where I'm like. As a bisexual woman, because you could, you know, it it kind of does play into that bisexual women are going to ruin your life type of thing and love you and leave you. And it's the one part of the whole story. And, you know, I'm not blaming the BBC because it's from the book where I'm just like, remember this? Like, another thing that is important to mention, this came out like 10 years ago, didn't it? At least. Like early, no, like early 2000s. 15 years ago then yeah so yeah so i mean take it is a i mean it's a bad it's a bad portrayal of the trope but also like honestly it's not one of the worst ones i've seen no like high tension exists you know i'm not gonna you know like literal psychotic you know (laughs) i can like be like me i don't like this part the rest of it's okay because the end part where she has to where Rachel's character has to make Nan has to make a choice between lady who loved her and left her and then the lady that she kind of loved and left and then came back to who took her back in. Okay, here's my thing. Here's my thing. And when Elizabeth brought up I was like, "Hey, we should totally talk about tipping the velvet and fingersmith." <laughs> I was like, "Can we please talk about the fact that women loving women make fucking terrible life choices when it comes to partners?" Yes. Because we do. And I loved, the thing I loved so much about Tipping the Velvet is they didn't perpetuate it. She made the right decision. She didn't go back with, you know, somewhat tall, dark, and handsome who loved her and left her. She stayed with the person who's always been there for her. And I'm like, ah, finally. It has a very satisfying ending because it feels like a decision that a normal person with a normally functioning brain would make. Yes. Like, it so genuinely surprised me because I actually, I had, was kind of on the edge of my seat for about the last 10 minutes of the, of the movie. Seeing my girlfriend is like, so she's going to make the right choice, right? And then it was funny because she paused it and she looks at me and she goes, now, 
What do you mean by the right choice? Because that answer actually changes depending on how you're looking at it. I was like, no, there is only one right choice. She's like, oh, you mean the adult choice, the one that you would pick now? And I'm like, yes, what do you think I'm talking about? Because uh, because I hadn't seen it, she's just trying not to spoil it for me. But once I saw how the how the ending happened, I was like, oh, okay, I can see what you mean. Because if I was twenty, I would have been like, but why didn't she go with the love of her life? Because it's like, not the love of your life. Yes, and honestly, like, I mean, we now have enough like major, especially with television, with some film, but we now have enough like lesbian content that we can sort of start to look at larger trends within our storytelling. And one trend within our storytelling that I'm kind of sick of is one and done. Yeah, the one and done. And I know why it's popular. It's popular because it's popular with any young people because you know, like straight love stories have this trope too. It drives me crazy there as well. It, I feel I feel like it's more enticing if you're queer because dating is so much harder. Yeah, so if we you have can find the one and done. You don't have to go through either being a lesbian dis- disaster or a bisexual <laughs> mess of like yes. you know lesbian disaster of oh blah blah blah. Does she like me? And then if you're a bisexual mess, you're like ah, I flirt with you. And oh wait, are you flirting back with me? I can't tell. Or if you're a lesbian disaster, it's like, I'm flirting. I'm totally flirting. No, you're not flirting. You can be a little more forward. But, like, we're not good no. at it. Elizabeth, you, you and I talked about this in an earlier episode of Ladies First when we talked about dating for women-loving women is a time. A nightmare. I'm trying to remember when we did that episode. That was like a year ago, wasn't it? I think so. I'll dig it up and I'll put it in the bottom of this so you guys can listen to it again. (laughs) But I get why... That's one of my favorite episodes, by the way, guys. (laughs) Like, no joke, it is one of my favorite episodes. We were drawn to this. The same thing with that soulmate trope. It's like, because it's easier. Because dating as a woman-loving woman is fucking hard. Like, don't get me wrong, straight girls. Dating dating men sounds like a fucking chore. But, like, honestly, dating every gender has its pitfalls, and the, the the queer lady pitfall is that we kind of approach relationships as if they're never going to end, which is I, a problem. I'm going to... Here's another episode. We discussed the song. Remember during the Sandra's breakup? I know. Stuff is, like, being metaphorically thrown at me. I it's like an ancient think, history. <laughs> I still think it was a great thing to show on TV. I know a yes. lot of people are like, oh, but all the backstage stuff going, like, I let's cut that out. Let's just cut out the backstage stuff going on. I think Sandra's breaking up was great because I think it shows it's not one and done. It shows, yeah, you're going to date multiple people. You're going to date some people you think are the one and you're going to find out, no, they're not the one. And you're going to move on and then you are going to find somebody who's better for you. Honestly, the thing that I liked the most about it was how they just didn't let it drop through the whole season. I like that they revisited it. I like that they portrayed Alex as being, like, functionally okay, but, like, feeling crappy. It's Like, that's honestly... Because that's honestly how... That's what... That's a really normal reaction to having a breakup like that. Like, not everybody is necessarily going to have a mental breakdown, although it's common, because it is... You know, going... You know, going and finding a sugar lady that dresses you down in golden dildos i mean that that's a choice that is a choice you can make yes i'm not gonna lie i actually found that um (laughs) a a small okay 
So something that I like about Tipping the Velvet, especially for its era, is that it is, even though, like, the people who are non-gender normative are portrayed as not being morally right, it's kind of not the best portrayal. I was genuinely Mm -hmm. surprised to see something produced in the early 2000s that featured a really wide variety of queer characters. Mm -hmm. Well, But also, like... It, okay. I mean, it's just a well-done sequence. It's it's actually what the sequence is about, is that it's about the disgusting decadence of the ultra-rich. The mm-hmm. fact that they're queer seems to be almost coincidental to, like, the point they were trying to make. Well, because... <laughs> but it's about hedonism. Winds... It's about hedonism. Yeah, who she I just realized... Up... I just who realized she... that this story has, like... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> who she winds up with, she and her brother are, like, neo-communists. They're pro-labor movement, pro-workers' rights. They're socialists contrasting with yeah, where they're socialists been. they're um they're social her her ultimate the the woman she ends up i guess they get married but um her brother is like a huge part of like the industrialist labor movement and organizing <laughs> factory workers in england so yeah she goes nan goes on a journey yeah, it goes in some crazy ass directions and I think that's probably why I liked it so much say with Fingersmith actually um, is that I didn't necessarily know where the story was going to go next see and what I liked about Tipping the Velvet is what I was like eh, about with Fingersmith because I'm all about choosing the healthy relationship and yeah, exactly. I could never like the way that started I'm like I can't get over this in Fingersmith, I mean. The way that relationship started, I'm just like, yeah, I really can't root for this. Also, like, with Fingersmith, it's two ridiculously skinny white girls. And, uh... One of which I is Sally know. Hawkins. Something that kind of become Really? Holy shit. Oh my god, you're right. Oh my god, you're right. I know. Uh, Fingersmith to the shape of water. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> real she You're is welcome a, she was also in um i just re- remembered she was also in tipping the velvet she yeah, had a she, she had sally a hawkins her career it's like she i watched godzilla the other day the one from like what was it 2014 it's like there's sally hawkins i watched paddington the bear like a month ago there's sally hawkins it's like the shit she shows up in is the least expected <laughs> like her career is just so everywhere <laughs> you know what i'd hope i actually said th- i hope that she'd come back to doing another queer piece because i would like to see her as she is now in mm-hmm. like in like a tipping the velvet type period piece maybe they can do like a prohibition era or something that sounds absolutely awesome yeah but not the bbc like, needs not that american stuff they're doing have the bbc do it yeah, let the BBC do it, or um, have the BBC set a show in, like, 1930s Paris, or 1920s Paris. You could just talk about all the great American authors during their big bisexual period when they were in France together. Before everything went to shit. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan called Fitzgerald a twink on, on Twitter the other day, and I'm still laughing about it. <laughs> oh my I saw that, and I was like, well, okay, that's a mood. Yeah, Dan that's a mood. That is a Because that makes, that makes Hemingway. Yes, Dan is one of our writers. 
who has a wicked sense of humor. No, that makes Hemingway the bear, and I 100% agree with this interpretation of their relationship. Oh my goodness. We're getting off course. Anyway. Yes, we're getting off course. I would but, I would pay good money to see yeah, that, back to to see that TV Smith. show, though. The way that relationship is set up is one of the characters is basically going to completely fleece the other one and rob her blind, essentially. And, you know, shenanigans, they fall in love. I'm like... No, no, I can't get on board with this. You were going to actively harm this person, and suddenly your lady bits got tingly, and now you're magically okay. They're um, how do I say this? They're both act okay. So this is actually another thing I wanted to talk about a little bit. That this is sort of, I guess, this episode is sort of a little bit about tribes, but this is something that I like that I've seen recently. Is that um. Having actual morally gray gay characters where their moral grayness is not related to their sexuality, I actually really like that. Like killing Eve is another it's a recent example that people killing have really gone Eve nuts is for. Amazing and I will fight anybody who talks dirty about it. Yeah, but I but like Fingersmith is like this, where the character it's something that I really like is the character mm-hmm. is not necessarily morally good. But um, No, she's very morally gray and like Personally, for me, I don't like that relationship because I'm like, that is not going to be healthy long term. But I like that we get to see that portrayal. Yeah, I like to have evil lesbian characters who are evil for reasons other than being like seductresses of innocent women. Mm -hmm. They're evil because they're shitty people, which is how it should be. That's how you portray a well-rounded person. You have you have to make somebody when you when you have a minority character, if you want them to be evil, here's the trick. Make sure that their evilness has nothing to do with their minority status, and you'll probably be okay. Yeah, if they're a greedy fuck, they're a greedy fuck regardless of their minority status. <laughs> don't make your don't make your greedy fuck a Jew unless you really know what you're doing. Well, okay, yeah, with one exception, with one exception. <laughs> but generally, like that's for me, I think that's one of the easiest ways with that big obvious exception of like because we're, you know, without getting super political, like, up with the capitalist, down with the whatever, but, I mean, down with the capitalist, up with the whatever. I was going to say, Corey, you and I are both, like, staunch socialists. (laughs) Well, I'm more, like, social democracy, and you're, like, democratic socialism. Yeah, I'm a democratic socialist. Yeah, I know. Dan and I have (laughs) many, many conversations about this. Um, yeah, it's, I think the one of the easiest ways that you can make somebody a bad person without tying it into their minority status is like greedy people do bad things because they're greedy and they want more and they don't care who they hurt to get it. Yep. That's just like a universal truth. Again, be very careful before you assign this to a Jewish character. <laughs> that is the well, one exception. Yeah. But, but generally, no, like, like, I think that's an easy way to show that somebody's, like, not exactly great. They're greedy, and greedy people do shitty stuff. Or you even just have things like, how inherently selfish are people? Like, mm. okay, so I just I just saw, um, actually, the, this last trip to visit my girlfriend, I saw, um, I just like saying my girlfriend. I know I've been saying it a lot. Um, but we saw Appropriate Behavior, which was the film by, um, oh, jeez, I had to look it up. Anyway, so the director that they had for um, Cameron Post. And so this was one of her, it was one of her first films and it was semi-autobiographical. But the thing that I really liked about it, which also kind of goes back to the things that I liked about Fingersmith, is that 
both of the main character because the the movie is essentially about a toxic relationship that that ends and that and how like it's actually a good thing that the relationship ended. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really novel because I was like, oh look, we actually have we now have a piece of media that ta- that actually shines a light directly on a lot of these problematic tropes. Because the thing that I loved about this film is that it took a lot of things that we see in other lesbian films portrayed in a positive light and shows them in a way to make sure that you know that this is unambiguously toxic. I should watch this. It's, I, Corey, I cannot recommend it enough. It was excellent. I'm going to have to watch this. Because, again, that's my There's a scene... There's a scene where they're screaming at each other where she's like, you ruined my party. And she's like, you're ruining my 20s. And I was like, this is the most relatable <laughs> f- couples fight I've ever seen. Like I... the film deal, like it low-key deals deals with alcoholism. The protagonist is a, mm-hmm. is a bisexual. Um, it also deals with her navigating sort of the awkwardness of dating while you're still in love, still in love with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is actually bisexual. Uh, but, you know, I... I feel like we need to sort of we we talk a lot about problems on this show, but I just we don't talk about film that much because I just don't watch that many films. But I lo- like that something seems to have happened recently where we're going okay with portraying ourselves as problematic people, mm-hmm. and we kind of do need need to do this because I mean some of you guys are real real problematic in real life. <laughs> we just did an episode on that too, man. We're just recycling so many points. It's not even um, recycling points. Like, it's, okay, I wouldn't say recycling. It's yeah. more like this conversation just evolves over time. Yeah, I mean, we did just do an episode about it's coming from inside the Rainbow House where Elizabeth and I touched on, um, it was based off of um, Ruby Rose's casting as Batwoman, where we talked about, you know, there's some really toxic conversation going on there, and... It's not really being called the carpet, and somebody needs to do it. <laughs> and I yeah, think but I mean, the same goes with like relationship tropes. Yeah, like there's a lot of toxic shit that our community, and I will still blame the L word for this. And I loved your girlfriend's piece on why we don't need an L word reboot because it was like speaking yeah. to me on like a subatomic level. I was just like, preach, uh, I loved it, everything she said, I agree with, but I really do think we absorbed a lot of toxic shit from the L word, and it's just been carrying down, and the shit keeps trickling down to every new generation. See, the thing is, though, and I think, I actually, this is, might be what's happening, is that we're reaching a point where, like, the L word's influence on you younger directors and young queer people who are writing these new stories that influence is really waning like we're reaching i hate to say this but we're reaching a point where there are grown-ass adults too too young to have watched the l word when it was culturally relevant Mm -hmm. well and i do i I know you just want to kill yourself don't you (laughs) i know i I just don't think about it too hard you sent me that post the other day about them doing that vintage whatever (laughs) from like the year 2000s and i wanted to murder you um it was a spirit day at a high school and the the spirit day theme was the 2000s so think like nelly with the chains and the air force ones and they were so spot there was a girl who found a baby fat t-shirt in 2018 oh 
But, I mean, that's good, though, because I do think, like, we are high time to move past those toxic elements. Um, yeah, because there's, there's a conversation to be had. Generation gap there is between, like, I guess what you call our our classical directors, you know, your But I'm a Cheerleaders and, like... You know, the L word, like, the, the way that these, these older media were created, there is some, like, homogeny amongst it, and now mm. we have sort of a new generation of storytellers, and we're approaching talking about our relationships that are from a very different angle. Like, even something like Carmilla, which in its first season is a bit tropey, because a lot of it's heavily based, you know, heavily inspired by Buffy, the second season is literally about why their relationship is toxic and why it needs to change. Right, I love that. Like, the complete and utter breakdown of their relationship, and... You know, they showed, you know, what Carmilla was doing that wasn't okay. But they also showed that, yeah, Laura was being really damned unfair to her, too. Yeah. And, like, appropriate behavior is like this, except it's a film for, like, adults in their mid-20s. And, like, that was so many things obliquely. Like, um, lesbians who are weird about strap-ons or the term gold star and why that's kind of inherently toxic. Um hmm. Um, lesbians being inherently combative to girls who they perceive as being air quotes straight passing and how that can cause toxicity within a relationship because there's resentment that builds up on behalf of the air quotes less straight passing partner um alcoholism within the queer community and why it is so, why, how Which it's so common and how it's about enough yeah like i was surprised that it was it was it wasn't like the film wasn't about that but it was a constant thing that was brought up consistently like hey your drinking is toxic mm -hmm. it never framed drinking as a good thing in the entire film but i actually kind of like that because you know it's something that the queer community probably needs yeah something a lot of people actually <laughs> of all ages um there was um Oh, so there's, there's a scene that I particularly liked because it takes place in, like, okay, picture, like, a San Francisco bookstore that's having a discussion about violence against, um, or, like, legislative violence against queer women. And during the conference, so the, the protagonist is trying to get her girlfriend back during the scene, so they're arguing kind of in the back of this man there who was very pissed about the reading list. And he's going on this rant about how he got her in the 1970s, and now he's, he's still writing. So this, like, really very, it felt very insider to the queer community. You could tell one of us made this, because this is, like, that you would only know about if you had been to, like, one of these book meetings. Mm -hmm. So there's this gay man in his, there's this gay man in his 50s arguing with a gay, like, a gay woman who's got a PhD in women's studies in, like, her 30s. And they're arguing that the topic of the group should actually be, while on the other side of the group, the protagonist and her ex about their relationship. You know what I think would be a really good modern day example of a f supporting mostly trope free relationship. Hmm. Amanita and Nomi from Sense Eight. Yes. Like they just they love each yeah. other. They support uh, actually. each other. I know. I'm like actually that's really good depiction of what a supportive like. Writer, I mean, obviously there is some extenuating circumstances in there, but I, I was like, you know, I don't really remember a whole lot of like toxic tropey stuff with their relationship. They just they love each other and they want each other to be their best selves. Well, I mean, it's because the Wachowskis made it. Like, I mean, they that's if you want to be honest, issues, like that's but it's a really good relationship. 
it's the where the truth of the story comes from. Mm-hmm. But also, to, like, I mean, their introduction as characters is like one of the well, one of the first <laughs> things you get. No, not just that. I that's actually not what I was talking about. But I just remembered immediately why. It, yeah, <laughs> the rainbow strap on. <clears throat> yeah, that was after uh, that part unambiguous. After that part, but they have a flashback to when Nomi's getting into a go lesbian, in which like bless them for making making fun of them because they deserve to be made fun of where they're mm-hmm. getting into a fight about whether or not trans women becomes like ready to like throw down and beat the crap out of that girl yeah and, like it's actually yelling at her like yeah and nomi that's... is just tearing up because nobody's defended her before yeah because i mean that's just what the i mean i i live here i know that's just what the community is was like still is in some ways but you know it's what getting else? better I'm, though the trend i'm also liking is that we are hmm. moving past stories about lesbians or bisexual women-loving women in just those, like, urban conclaves. Like, San Francisco, L.A., New York. Like, we're finally starting to move outside yes. of stories. Because, again, like, this is another episode we've talked about where I've said before, you know, those experiences, for me, culturally, where I grew up, uh, I mean, you may as well be talking about, like, Saturn. I still live in L.A., and, and there are parts of L.A. that I will break out into hives if I have to go to. I did. I had to go into one of them last week. I have to say. Like, yeah, I said Elizabeth. Was te- like, last week she was texting me. To- she's like, I hate this bougie neighborhood. I'm like, I'm going to have to light <laughs> myself on fire. I am like, not. this is not my thing. And you part of it's because of where I grew sign- up. Chocolaholic support group, and you're like, I got to get the fuck out of here. What is wrong with these people? Yeah, but I'm liking that we are moving past, you know, it's one of the things I really liked about Tipping the Velvet was they talked about class issues. And, you know, Nan is not from London. She comes from a smaller town. You know, I like that we're starting to see more work of people who aren't from, like, the San Francisco, Los Angeles, maybe Portland, and New York areas. Because, you know, women loving women come from everywhere. Yeah, and, like, Nan's in particular, like, the the story even directly acknowledges how her accent has to change depending on where she is in order to, like, it's about respectability politics. People don't take Mm -hmm. you seriously if you sound like you're a northerner. Because it's a working class, it's a working class accent, and people don't like that. And even though we're talking about, like, a very specific, like, subset, it's, you know, it's, it's British society in, like, the 1880s. It's, like, a very particular thing. I still like that the discussion is there because, like, even I don't necessarily relate to things on the, like, I kind of liked the L word more when I was younger, but, uh, you know, grow, like, now that I'm much older and I just, now that I understand how money works and, like, that sort of thing, because, you know, I watched it when I was still in high school, like, I just don't find it relatable. Like, a lot, like, the thing that bothers me the most about a lot of lesbian media is I spend a lot of time thinking, how do they afford this apartment? (laughs) Now, granted, this is like, this is like something in all media. Yeah, it's something that yeah, it's a problem with all media because TV executives all live in Los Angeles and they all live in single family homes that they bought thirty years ago, and mm-hmm. so their mortgages are dirt cheap because there's this law in California where you can only raise the mortgage, you can only raise um, raise interest rates a certain percent per a year, and it completely destroyed California. Anyway, look it up. Um, but the point is, is that they pay jack shit for their homes and they bought them when they cost $150,000 in 1985. And that's how they think that's how like most people live. Yeah, newsflash. As a Los Angelino, it's not. 
Yeah. But, oh, inappropriate behavior. Like a big part of the early plot was um, the protagonist's parents getting on the case of the protagonist because she has an MA in journalism. So of course she has to move into an apartment with three other people in Bushwick. Right. It was set in New yeah. York. That's what I was remember this conversation. Um, because of course her and her girlfriend lived together, and then she had to move out. And she was like. Because her, I, it was sort of implied that the girlfriend paid a lot more rent than she did because she was like, when she found her new place, she's like, this is what I can afford now. And her parents, who are like extremely rich, are like, uh. Well, at least there's that realistic part of it. I mean, journalists get paycheck shit. <laughs> she it's ends true. Up teaching, she ends up teaching film to kids. <laughs> like, Okay, just, that might not be realistic as a happy end, but whatever. I'll give it to it. I'll let it have it. <laughs> I'll let it slide. It's more like, it's more like a, an expression of, like, this is another thing that typically Velvet has, is it's very good at, like, sort of showing, like, you know, a lot of people who are in positions like us, we don't necessarily do a job that is our passion. We just work to work. Like, that doesn't mm-hmm. define who we are as a person. Because it's very, that's a very millennial point of view. Is We, are, we, we don't work make- so we can go do the stuff we love after work. Yeah, we don't like to be defined by our jobs because a lot of us, like, just will never be happy in our jobs because the jobs that we have just don't pay as well as they did you know, 15, 20 years ago. Or, you know, like, <laughs> also there working aren't any jobs out there for what you want to do. Or people who are, you know, start working jobs that, or also, like, even finding something that you like, because it sort of implied that the protagonist gets into filmmaking because she had to teach the stupid, she had to teach a class of five-year-olds how to make a movie, and in the process of doing that, realized that she actually really enjoyed this herself. Like, it's cute. Well, but also, but- she's still works you know her, her primary job is still babysitting five-year-olds for like the upper class new york elite and she does it with sarcastic glory and she teaches which is hilarious right i mean like you have to do a day job and i think it's very millennial you do the day job to do the stuff you love yeah you it, know you you come down to la you've got all sorts of people who are in some aspect of entertainment most of them have a day job the Los Angeles service industry is its own unique beast because they often they have to have such a ridiculous number of swing shift people because you have to be able to leave for things like auditions at any time and it's like common just walk off a job because yeah. like what if it's a big break you know what happens but yeah like things also fingers. Yeah. Fingersmith isn't quite that. Fingersmith I like more because... Okay, so Fingersmith is something unique. Fingersmith is, like, a really specific genre piece that is also, like, super explicitly gay. Because it's a high... It's a, I will admit, as embarrassing as this is, I actually sort of didn't understand what happened when I first got to the midpoint of the story, because it's told in two parts. They show you, like... They show you the story from one character's point of view, and then the second half is the the story from the other character's point of view, and you realize that everything you thought was a lie. Mm -hmm. I I was genuinely shocked by the twist, which is why I'm not going to say what it is if you've never seen it, because honestly, it's worth it. I didn't spoil it, did I? No, I don't don't think think so. If I did, I'm sorry. But, okay, so... The gist of it is that it's a heist where one person thinks they're ripping off somebody, but that's but it's actually someone else ripping off a different person. There's like several people ripping off each other in this story. Trust and none no of bitch. Yeah, and all of them think that they're the smartest person in the room and that they're the only ones who are running a con. 
also a basic heist movie. Yeah, if you like heist movies, this will be your thing. If you liked Ocean's Eight, this you probably would like this. Honestly, I know they sound but like they're with very more far- lesbians. Yeah, with more lesbians, actual canon lesbianry. Lesbianry. I didn't. That's not what I meant to say. Lesbianry. Like husbandry. You are like super gay. I hope you know this. <laughs> I am, and I'm quite proud of that. But yes, the like. So I'm almost thirty. I'm actually turning thirty this January. So I've had welcome a, to the club. I know, but like I just some had, things are us. I've had time to sort of think about like what did and didn't work in my previous relationships. And for a moment, I thought you were going to say my previous lives, and I was like, "This is new. Did this come you know, from Canada too?" You know what's funny is that if I had said that, I you'd probably would have just gone with it. Maybe. I could have probably pulled that off convincingly. No, I did not have, to my knowledge, I did not have any previous lives. Um, damn, you made me lost my train of thought. You're welcome. Thinking about what could possibly have been my previous, previous lives. Previous relationships. Right. Um, but what didn't work in my previous relationships, and then sort of comparing it to, like, where our media is. Mm-hmm. And... Well, it's... Let's see, how do I want to put this? You're doing great, I sweetie. You I know. Do I, this. I feel like some of it... Okay, some of it is, like, the folly of youth, but a lot of it is just, like, all of the messaging I had was all quite toxic and wrong. And well, part of the problem... Part of the problem was that nobody had the balls to criticize any of it. Because there was so little representation. There was always a little bit of fear... Of openly criticizing what little you had, because if you seemed like you were getting too uppity, that they would stop giving it to you. Right. So the nice thing about where we are now is we're at the point which, oh, by the way, that's the CW officially in a quantifiable way is the best network for the gays. I love that we can actually say that. We told you so. Um, (laughs) You were not going to let that go. No, I'm not. I'm not. I just, it's a great thing. It's a great thing that we can quantifiably say that we have a network that is the best at queer representation because we now have enough networks in that competition that we can compare and contrast them to each other. Talk about mm-hmm. their weaknesses. Like, that is a very novel thing. But that means we've also reached a point where we can look at any kind of media. Because there is new media being produced every day. There's new stuff I haven't even thought of. I had never heard of appropriate behavior before my girlfriend showed it to me. And it was incredible. So now, you know, we have enough media that we can sit down and say, okay, what maybe had some... What what has caused issues in our community in the past? And what can we do to make sure that the early 20-somethings lesbians now are not going to have as many problems as we did Mm. navigating their 20s. Because a lot of it, I feel like a lot of the trouble we had is that the lack of, we just didn't have that much information. Right. Like, information about being queer, but also information specifically about being queer in a healthy relationship is much more widely available now. Oh, like yeah. Absolutely. think about it like 10 years ago where would what website would you go to to learn about healthy queer relationships like what existed been around for 10 years 
Yeah. No. No. Autostraddle. Um, Autostraddle is younger than after Ellen. So yeah, there wasn't really. Even after Ellen might not be that old. No, it is. No, El- it after is. Ellen, it was like in the early two thousands. Yeah, mid early mid two thousands. Yeah, it's that's a niche website. Think about how think about how many more shows that you wouldn't otherwise think about having queer representation just happen to have a queer secondary or ter- tertiary character now. Yeah, like, we're just there. We just exist now in TV. Bat we're woman. mostly we get we're mostly- Batwoman. Yes, we get Batwoman. Bow Batwoman pilot. Hopefully, a full series and a crossover. Played by a lesbian, an out lesbian. I'm just a genderqueer lesbian. Yeah, that's not like. I'm sorry. Like months later, I'm still kind of tripping about this. I'm like, they cast a genderqueer tattooed lesbian to play Batwoman. Like, of, when you say it out loud, you're like, of course, that's like who they should cast to play Batwoman. But it's still genuinely surprising, you know? Like that mm-hmm. is not. I'm not expecting that. Well, or like we were talking earlier, Nia Null. In yes. the comics, she is not transgender. The writers specifically went out of their way to make a transgender superhero. Like, and explicitly that's cast fucking amazing. And explicitly cast a transgender woman to play her. Yeah. This is why, this is why the CW is number one in representation. Like, you have to think, like, honestly, just the, the breadth of options available in the CW, like, even things like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, like, initially turned me off because I was like, this is probably going to be tropastic, but actually, no, it was a bit about deconstruction of tropes, but they have that great song with that dude with the, the who looks like he's, like, in his late 30s or early 40s playing a saxophone about being bisexual. I, it, what is it, getting by? I don't watch that show, but let's say yes. Yes, but basically it's, like, a normal, like, a really normal-looking dude to you, who doesn't look like a gay stereotype, wearing like a like a suit that dropped out of the '80s, playing a saxophone, singing a song about how great it is to be bisexual in front of a bi flag, and this happened within the past couple years. Like it's not just about us, ladies. It's also like their like representation of bisexual and gay men is important too. It's about having like the whole spectrum of people on television because it helps normalize all all the different letters of the LGBTQIA um, community. Right. And the W, it's almost called the WB. It's funny to think that that's their origin, actually. The WB that was the thorn in uh, What's-His-Face, who did Buffy, we shall not speak his name, but was a thorn in his side about literally every little thing they did at a Buffy. Their eventual legacy is a network that was crowned yeah. the best network for LGBTQ representation. Like, that's insane. It's weird how that type of stuff works out. Yes. That said, we are approaching the end of our time. Yeah. I figured it was about that. But to sort of bring it all together, like, I wanted to bring, at least not maybe talk about them in too much depth, because it sort of is a sounding board for other things, but Tipping the Velvet and Fingersmith are just two really unique pieces of media. Like, even... There's no, there's not a lot of straight media I could even think of that has sort of the same narrative roller coaster that Tipping the Velvet does. It, you're never quite sure what it's going to do, and the story of Nan's life is genuinely interesting. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it goes in so many different directions. She experiences so many things. You can tell that she's extremely well read just by what she talks about, or even like the, her experiences with the crazy woman. 
who basically kept her as a pet in the mansion. Like with all the dildos. Yeah, it, well, I'm yeah, sorry. Her, I'm just her math. For, I'm sorry. You have to admit her math for Dighty was funny. Yes, that was genuinely funny. That was a funny pun. I very much appreciated that. But I just, you know, fan fiction and sort of our cult, or the lesbian culture at large, we sort of like homogenize all of our ships into being sort of the same thing over and over again. And I kind of don't want that. Like now that I'm sort of starting branching out and seeing more lesbian films, I'm like, oh, there's actually a lot more storytelling potential. Mm-hmm. Like I'd like to see serialized television, not just like, you know, BBC serialized, but, you know, actually runs for longer than than 10 episodes for its entire run kind of thing. Right. Um, I want to see more stories like this where like you tell an extreme, like extremely crazy period piece, but just make it gay. We're not asking for a lot here. <laughs> no, we're not asking for a lot here. And also, you know, to be mindful of, about the tropes that we continue to perpetuate, or at least if we're going to prote- perpetuate your, those tropes, do them in a unique way. Because, like, honestly, I'm kind of tired of, like, Way Hot and that sort of format. I'm kind of looking for something new. And if you like Way Hot, that's okay. We're not knocking it. But the great thing is... is no, it's just not my thing. We all have different opinions on what we like. Yes. So how are we doing on time now? Just well, about over. I'm going to start our wrap-up now. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, don't forget to check out our other podcasts, uh, The Fundamentalists, Unabashed Book Snobbery, Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics, and Right to Survive. Also, if you've been living under a rock or this is just for whatever reason the first time you've made it to the end of one of our ladies' first podcasts, we do have a subscription service for our site, uh, Fundamentals Plus. Uh, we have two different options. Uh, I guess tiers, if you want to call them, if you want to help support our site. Uh, We have a monthly option for $3 a month, and then we also have a yearly subscription at $30 a month. So the $30 a month, you actually... $30 a year. Huh? $30 a year. Oh, yeah, You mean $30 a year? Uh, Yeah, $30 a year. Yeah. Um, $30 (laughs) Yeah, $30 a year, you actually get two months free with that option. So, you know, whatever works best for you, if you can support us, we greatly appreciate it. Um... One of the perks you get for it that is you do get a shout out on the podcast of your choice. It all goes right back into the site. We use it to help help keep our podcast hosted, keep our podcast recorded, keep, keep our, our images loaded. <laughs> yep, keep our site up. Yeah, and it all goes right back into the operations. So we really appreciate your support as far as that goes. And there is a ton of really cool stuff you can get with that. Outside of the shout outs, we also do Fundamentals exclusive events like movie rewatches, um, podcasts, um, articles. So we have a link on the top menu of our site. It says FM Plus if you want to check that out. And don't forget to like and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you have anything else that you want to say about this episode that Elizabeth and I didn't touch on, there's the comment section below. Sound off. You know, if you're like, how dare you, Fingersmith is trash, or Corey, how <laughs> dare you, Fingersmith is amazing, you know, go ahead. Hit us with it. We just like hearing from you guys. And don't forget, I'm going to say this one more time. Don't forget, if you have a better phrase for what is beyond peak lesbian, let us know in the comments. I'm, I'm uh. serious. If you come up with some, if y'all come up with something good, I may make a shirt out of it. <laughs> We're completely serious. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're I will. Totally... I will accept. I will accept being made fun of. You love it. Don't even act like you. I don't. do. I actually really love the attention. I'm sure that you yeah. all can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many more times you can mention my girlfriend. <laughs> so, my girlfriend who lives in Canada. <sighs> You're just trying to get that song stuck in my head, aren't you? Yep. I'm going to make you pay for that. I don't know how, but I will find a way. <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. We really appreciate... We're on about two years for this, aren't we? Yes, we are. It actually... I think our first episode was in yeah October of 2016. So thank you guys for sticking in with us this long. Um, I don't know why you have, but we really appreciate it. <laughs> we like that you think we're interesting. It yes. makes us feel good about ourselves. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.